ready to rock. We are ready to roll. We have got the vibe and we have got the soul. Welcome to the Baying of the Hounds, improvisational poetry at no extra cost. And it's my significant pleasure to have with us today a regular on the show. We're almost thinking of giving him co-host status. Um, Sifu, Guru, Grandmaster, Emperor Poobah, Michael Billings. I'm going to keep throwing titles at you until one sticks. How are you doing today, brother? Good. You forgot Supreme Grandmaster. I did. That is true. I shall have to Super Supreme. <laughs> How about we go for Super Supreme Grandmaster? SSGGM. I like it. Super Supreme Great Grandmaster. Oh, but there you go. How's life been? It's been a while since we've actually got these chats to uh, to do the chat vibe on the bang here. It's been fine. Um, not much has changed for me. Um, you know, like I say to people, I I know a lot's happened during COVID and my life is so small. I have no real social circle. So hmm. not not a whole lot has changed for me. I mean, there have been ups and downs for sure. But um, you know, I've been thankful that that we've we've been doing okay. I think it's interesting, I and mean, in keeping kind of with the spirit of the show, we've gone from um the general attitude of uh, everyone getting together on mass and, and training groups and you know, you've got to have contact, you've got to have someone in front of you, to all of a sudden Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu producing effectively Kata DVDs for buying for people to use at home. So solo training, which for years, I'm sure you'll agree with me, has been actually a staple of mine. Um, yeah. I, I do more on my own than I've ever done in groups. And I'm not saying you don't need the group training. Of course you do. Right? That's why I still do it. But I've always focused on my own individual training. So now it's almost like we come full circle because years and years ago, this was why we had forms, is why we had cataracts, why we had that transmission of the traditional systems, because the master might not be in your village for the next three or four months. Yeah. Work on work on this stuff until I see you again. So I find it interesting how that's developed. So with your own training, leaving aside the fact you've not been able to perhaps get up front and personal with <clears> students and things anymore, have you found there's been an impact or a fundamental change in the way you do things? Not really. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> that question answered just simply in shot. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think for me, maybe it's just that there's a difference between choosing to train solo and then being forced to, right? Um, I mean, when I, when I lived in Victoria, we were sort of spoiled. I was training with um, my primary instructor, Fred, at the time had access to him, private lessons, regular group classes. At the same time, he was bringing in people like David Harris. Um, we had Jesse visit us, lots of really um, talented and highly skilled people. And then when I moved back to Duncan, I all of a sudden, I didn't have access to training partners. I didn't see Fred as often. And I think that was kind of the beginning for me as far as you know, you, if you want to keep going, you have to find a way to keep going. Yeah. And so solo training really, um, it became a, a staple for me and it, it has remained so ever since. And I think, you know, you just, whether you're teaching, whether you're serious about it or not, you're going to have times where you have people available and not people available. And in, in that practical sense, this has been no different. So, yeah. And that makes sense. And that kind of confirms what, you know, a lot of us have known for years and have practiced for years. One of the things, as I'm sure you're aware, I've created an online program which launches tomorrow, folks. Have the university March 1st. Um, and the idea is that it's not saying this is the only way to learn. Mm. It's not saying you don't need to work with a partner, but it's saying in there, as your mindset's in the right place, you can get an effective and worthwhile training experience on your own provided you can put yourself in the position where you obtain the benefit from that. Now, the analogy I use is like when the bodybuilders use the very light weights and they feel the pump through every, they concentrate, they focus on the muscle, they put everything in there. And they will often say they get just as good a workout from that as they do from like honking the big, heavy powerlifting size weights around. Mm -hmm. um, because it all comes down to mindset. And that's kind of what I want to try and explore with us um, today, because now, You've been on the podcast a few times. We know your history a little bit. We got to know you a little bit. So we can actually distill down into some pertinent issues now um, versus getting a general view of where you're at. Yeah. And mindset is a big piece of that. Um, I want to pay you a compliment uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because I like to pay them to you because I know you hate them. Uh, and two, because it sets the stage for where we're going right now. 
So because you found yourself on your own so long and so often, I consider it's one reason why your personal development has been as strong as it has. And you've never always been there because sometimes the instructors will gift you things so that you're there all the time. They're always helping. They're always pushing. Mm. And because there's a constant supply of this, we never feel the need to look elsewhere or find other ways of obtaining that. If you remove the ability of the instructor to give you regular input, either on a daily basis or weekly basis, whatever your training frequency is, you have to learn to walk on your own. And this is that give a fish, teach to fish concept sort of encapsulated. And it's one reason why to my mind, and I've seen a lot of the non-classical Kung Fu guys work. I've seen a lot of the um, uh, guys from other lineages work. Your expression of those forms is almost some of the purest I've seen. Mm. And I think it's precisely because what you've had to do is basically take what you were given and just keep polishing it and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep mm. going. And um, would you say that was a fair, fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I'd, I'd like to take the credit and say that I planned it this way, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's one of those things that you do out of necessity and you don't really know the, the gravity of the decision until 10 years later, 20 years later. And then you find that you have reached some level of success and you've obviously done something right, but you didn't really realize exactly what that was during the time. Um, and now, you know, if I, I'm being philosophical about it. I almost look at it as a coming of age thing, mm. right? Where, you know, I, I had a lot handed to me and then all of a sudden there was a point where I really didn't have anything handed to me anymore. And that was a combination of people passing away and distancing myself. And for one reason or another, you, you get to a point where you feel like, well, I, I can either quit or I can make something for myself and you know if you're willing then it becomes more and more clear over time and you know getting given a few pieces here and there and then doing something with them I think is more valuable than having stuff handed to you consistently and spoon-fed yeah right eventually you reach a point where it, it's actually uh, harmful I think to your progress if you if you are continually spoon-fed in that way because you're not going to appreciate it. You're going to take a lot for granted, probably forget a lot of it. And, and, you know, so I, like I say, I, I wish I could say that I, I had mastermind um, this whole thing from the beginning, but, but the truth is it just really mattered to me and I found a way to keep going. So. And there is an interesting parallel with the way Jesse did his own development because he, when he wasn't trained with Bruce anymore, tried to put the lightning back in the bottle, so to speak, and ended up finding a way of doing things through his own independent inquiry, and he got to a very similar point that he would have done with Bruce. It's just by his own words, he kind of did it the wrong way, but still got there almost. Yeah, well, I, I think I think like anytime you 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 have somebody that you look up to that has had a similar experience, you do take inspiration from it. Mm -hmm. And so when I, you know, I used to hear stories or read about Jesse how he had figured certain material out by accident or. Um, he started to realize that much like he advocated later in his career that what really makes you successful is finding out what works for you, mm. right? But that oftentimes, especially early on in people's development, that it kind of falls on deaf ears because you do look up to somebody like a Bruce Lee or, or could be Mohi Ishiba or, or a mixed martial art fighter or whomever. Sure. And you kind of want to be that person. And I think initially you, you ignore the fact that you don't have that person's body type or experience. And so you're not going to get a similar result, but you could have actually a better result, but it's going to be more specific to your physical makeup and your temperament and how you learn. So when I saw that Jesse kind of acknowledged that he wasn't Bruce Lee, he wasn't as fast or, or didn't have his gifts, yet I saw what he could do. On, on a handful of occasions and guys like Fred who are a lot smaller than me but mm -hmm. could move in a way that was very unique and inspirational or somebody like David Harris um, any of the people that meant something to me growing up 
they all had the thing they all had in common was that they found a way to maximize their gifts and they also had had to have gone it, it occurred to me they had to have gone through a time where they were uncertain they probably always they weren't always confident mm. but they had to reach this point where they were going to uh, embrace that period and then find some kind of a goal and then just keep moving forward even if that goal changes periodically they're still always working towards something and it's all based on what they can do and what what they can make sense of so i think that helped me a lot too one of the interesting points um i found with jesse and to an extent what what I know of Mr. Harris, what you shared with me, both in footage form and the, the stories and the anecdotes, um, they were comfortable being their versions of what they'd learned and passing it on. Um, I find a lot of the time, and coming from the JKD world, I've probably got a massive slant of bias towards how frequently this occurs. Um, because if you're in an art like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Muay Thai or any of what is so-called the competitive or the uh, sport for want of a better word. I'll, I'll use competitive rather than sports. I prefer that descriptor. Um, disciplines, there's an instant metric in there. If you're claiming you're a good boxer, at some point, someone's going to say, well, what's your record? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Now, if you're doing an art and you've done a little bit of boxing in it, then obviously there's a, a slightly different metric there. But say with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, if you're saying you're the best BJJ player, it's like, well, who have you beat? So there is an inherent metric within there. So although there's lineage wars and there's instructor wars and there's disagreements you don't get it to the same extent because at the end of the day the proof of the pudding is in the eating mm. within a lot of the martial arts world when you tilt towards the jkd end the non-classical end and certainly some of the more esoteric ones it's all about the down lineage and you know you get people literally trying to hitch their wagon to anybody that once you know delivered three pints of milk to bruce lee's doorstep um just because they think it gives them that little air of credibility now jesse never did that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't shy of admitting his connection with Bruce, but he never dined out on it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's had an influence on you? Probably more than you realize. Um, because uh, they, they, yeah, you, 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 again, you're very, very slow to mention the input these guys have had on you. And even when it does come up in conversation, you, the first thing you always say is, well, I, I didn't spend that much time with them, but what I, mm -hmm. time I did, I valued. Mm -hmm. um, and do you think that if more people focused on their own journey rather than uh, whose flag they were waving at the time when they were walking, then we'd see more progress on individuals. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that they'll talk about names or how long they've trained, but it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't make them any better off. Mm. Right. It's like, it's, it's like, then you have to ask what, to what end are you saying this? Like if you, you know, if you, if you, if you talk about who you met, chances are you're saying it to impress people or to create some sort of, um, rapport with somebody. And I, and I kind of don't think that's genuine, right? It's like, um, if I want to get to know somebody, then if we have enough in common, it, it's meant to happen. I don't really need to throw names out there or show off. You know, and if I wouldn't do that outside of martial arts, why would I do that inside martial arts? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. And then as far as, um, as far as in martial arts, it's like, if I, if I exaggerate it and say, I spent more time with these people than I did, doesn't really do me any credit. It kind of dishonors like the, the long time students of these people. And at the same time, it doesn't take away what, from what I can or cannot do. Mm. you know it, it that should speak for itself you know i think that's one of, sorry oh, go ahead. Uh, no no i was gonna say i think that's actually a very important point that you raise because it's like doesn't matter who you train with it's what you can do so if you're then claiming that you know you're you're naming that person's close to your mast and you move like a plate of beans negotiating its way out of a cow's digestive tract then you're not only pissing on them by claiming you did more than you did you're further lessening their impact by performing badly if you know what i mean yeah it's like a lose-lose situation if you if you perform very well um in a sense like you're you're still representing yourself you're not representing that person in a sense right i mm -hmm. mean yeah yeah what it's different if they give you permission and they say we really like you to we really like you to be part of this family um i have a, i have an organization you're very welcome that that's fine um and i'm not I'm not putting that down, but when people kind of use it as a 
status by association, then I, I kind of think they're doing themselves a disservice as well as the people that they're connected to, right? Um, that's why I'm, uh, I mean, for one, there's no reason for me to exaggerate anything. Um, I didn't have much time. I was able to extract information because it mattered to me. That's not to say that I, I wish I didn't have years and years with some of these people or, or mm -hmm. weekly classes. It's just that when um, the fact is that when you touch hands with somebody, sometimes it doesn't take a very long time for it to change everything you do. No. Right. Um, just like meeting somebody on the street, you meet the right person. Everything can change in a day. Like it, it and the same thing happens in the martial art world. Um, I have a few occurrences like meeting Fred that changed my life watching him move, watching what he did. It was a totally different paradigm. The same thing happened when I met Harris, um, Jesse, Sonny. It's why, it's why these names and these people stick out to me. It's why they're on the wall behind me, yeah. right? Because um, although I wish I had more time with them, what they did changed me in a huge way. And regardless of the amount of time I did have, I've still managed to come a certain way in martial arts. And I, I realized I'm just a kid compared to the people that I looked up to. And no matter what I say, it doesn't take away from what I can do or not do. Right. right. Yeah. So there's, there's no point in, in, in take. Which again is to your credit and always has been. It's one of the reasons I'm always uh, glad when I'm able to bring you in to do any inputs at our school um, and go to sessions that you do at other ones, like you've done at um, uh, Mr. Spurrell School, uh, Seafood Spurrell School, and yeah. it's always very, very well received because you don't big it up as anything it's not. You go in, you show what you know, and people extract from that what they want. They'll either find value in it or they won't, and that's fine. That's as it should be. Hmm. Um, I think one of the, the bigger concerns is the quality control piece within the martial arts world. Mm. Again, removing any external metric like a championship fight, like a title belt, or like, you know, yeah. competitively having someone in front of you trying to smash your face in, that kind of takes care of itself. There's nothing within the more, I hesitate to use the word esoteric, but the more non-conformist styles. So you can hide behind that bluff and bluster of, well, you know, this is used for battlefields or this is centuries old so it must yeah. you know still be good because it endures and you lose that sort of honesty how have you managed to maintain that honesty in your training over the years how, how have you managed to keep michael honest in your development and, and not get caught up in that doing for the sake of doing almost yeah um well, I, I don't know that I always have. I mean, it's it's hard to tell. <laughs> Fair. It's hard to tell. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're all humans, so it's it's hard to tell. Sometimes it's easy to fall into a, a group setting where everybody is doing something, feeling good about it, and you don't really, there's no really way to test it unless it's outside of that circle. Mm. So I think when um, at a certain point, there were a few, there were a few, um, philosophical guidelines like one is w what you do should work regardless of whether or not someone believes in it mm -hmm. <laughs> which I, I think is always a good one i'll, I'll put their toes up or put their tongue roof them up. Yeah. Yeah. all the good stuff so if you go to a school and, and you know how it is when you're teaching uh even on a small level it's like people will say things like it doesn't work or that wouldn't work or that wouldn't work on the street is a classic one, right? Um, yeah, and it doesn't matter, right? So um, at a certain point, it just made sense. Like if you really like somebody, you're trying to help them, you can make the effort to show them why what they're saying isn't correct, right? Like you know, get them to punch at you or get them to try to take your head off or get them to fall into a situation where they think they have the advantage, they're going to be successful, and then you show them how they're not going to be successful. <laughs> and then at least the experience is real for them. And then yep. you give them the choice, right? Um, had that happen a fair amount. <laughs> um, and then the other, the other one is if you feel like there are red flags, uh, like we were talking the other day about 
potential student. Yeah, right? no, I, I, I want to drag. I'm going to come back to that one because sure. it's, it's an, it's a fascinating point, and yeah. it, I think it speaks to a change in the culture, the way things are. Sure. I do want to mention it, but yeah, don't let sure. me distract from your large point. No. no, but I mean, in in a case like that, it's like, well, to simplify, it's like if you like someone, you might make the effort to show them. Mm either show them why what they're doing doesn't work or you're going to show them why what you're doing has valid points and how it might work for the right person with the right experience level, right? Yeah. But if you don't like them and you feel like they're trouble and they say it doesn't work, you got nothing to prove. It's just, okay, you're right. Yeah, good point. I don't, I'll, I'll change things for you. They, 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 can, they can stick to the belief, hold on to the bone, and you don't have to convince them otherwise. I, I don't like convincing people. No, right. um, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. the, well, so I'll, fly, I'll bring it onto the table now, being as we, we kind of touched sure. on it. You, there was um, a referral to your potential trainee the other day. Mm. Now, this trainee is uh, uh, young in years. Uh, they certainly haven't seen a third decade. They're barely into their second. Mm. And this individual had accumulated several grades in disciplines, and uh, they, had, they knew what they wanted is perhaps the most polite way I can describe their ambitions for the martial arts. Well, they knew what they wanted to do and they knew how they wanted to be taught it. And they were looking for someone to teach it. And I remember saying to you when you were discussing it with me and I was like, the, the flags are just flying up all over the place. Because when you've got the young guy that's accumulated so much in such a short period of time, that always alarms me. It's not that it can't be done. It can. And obviously, as we know, Bruce died at 32. And I know when I was in my early 20s, I'd gone through a little bit of the grind um you know polishing up what i had so it's certainly not impossible but lots of belts and lots of ranks and lots of accolades in early years sometimes make me get a little bit of the old forest whitaker eye but leaving that aside what i find more concerning was he wanted to learn something he hadn't done i think it was weaponry if i remember rightly and he wanted it to be taught a certain way and so i said well you know how much is he you know what's your hourly rate and you know what's he what's he proposing and I think, again, it doesn't happen very often. So we can mark this as an early start in 2021. You said, no, oh, no, he doesn't want to pay for it. And I, I was silent. Like, he, he's not only putting all these demands on you of how you will teach it and what you will teach him, what his expectations are. He doesn't want to pay for it either. Mm. And at the risk of sounding like, you know, oh, okay, boomer, when did this happen that people think they get this stuff for free, this this entitlement culture within martial arts where on earth does this come from i'm not sure um i think i think in part it's probably due to the way things are marketing mm. like people are marketing martial arts online not everybody of course um i think like your school ha has a really good way of you're good with marketing but you maintain quality right mm. that's that's a really really hard thing to do but you guys do it very well Thank but you. But I think there are a lot of schools that they get caught up in overhead, having to pay expenses. It becomes more of a business concern. And then you've got to bring people in. If you're honest and you say to people, like, it's going to take you thousands and thousands of reps over years to get good at certain material. Some stuff like short-term material, you'll get good at fairly quickly. Other stuff's going to take you a long time. And it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. But typically, if you're honest and blunt with people, it's not a very good sell in a way, mm. you know, um, you know, just like the, a lot of people that go to start a trade or, or uh, become a doctor or some type of professional that it sounds really great in the moment and it feels good to tell your family. But then if you, you, you know, once you actually take the steps to go to, um, a school advisor or find out the actual information that like the, just the, the meat and potatoes, like what's it going to take to achieve this? There's a lot of people that just back off immediately. Yeah. They just don't I, know. Right. And so I think part of the entitlement comes from this, you know, you can, you can be proficient in a short amount of time with minimal uh, effort, you know, pay me this money, blah, 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 blah. And that's been a cliche in the martial art world for years, but yeah, unfortunately, it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like how does a cliche become a cliche? Yeah, because right? it's, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think 
even in the last five years, the way things online have been developing with social media, hmm. things are just going faster and faster and faster. People are less and less patient, generally speaking. And so people are always trying to make the pro, you know, if this, if, if, if a hundred people are saying it's going to take you six months, then it's like to stand out, you have to say, well, okay, I can do it in five. Right. Right. I can right. do it in four. They're charging a hundred. I'll charge you 75, but it really has nothing to do with the process of learning. I mean, the people that do it, that love it. It's not like we're driving around in Lamborghinis, right? We're not getting rich. Um, yet. Yes, we, we will get that. <laughs> well, that, that's, a, that's another topic, right? That's an interesting sure. disconnect. Um, but I think that's part of it. I think people want things faster. They want them easier. But like anything, I mean, it's always been this way. If, if you want to do something and, it, and it's special, it does require special effort, special knowledge. Mm. Um, yeah, sure. Money should be exchanged for lessons. Um, the people that are offering these skills have developed thousands and thousands of hours to, to develop these skills and a lot of sacrifice in time. And that should be acknowledged. But at the same time, um, the people that are really dedicated, they are driven for some reason or another. Right. And that's, that's rare. So I think more commonly than not, people would rather say, okay, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. Um, there's no accountability on me. It's like who I train with and how much I pay and I should be able to get what I want. And that's, and that's crazy. Yeah, it is. Um, what I find frustrating with so much of it is, um, and I, I comfort myself with the restaurant analogy. Um, and I think I've used it before when I've been talking with you, if I cook a finely prepared steak and sear it and do all the butter and the trimmings and all that sort of thing, more people will still buy a cheeseburger from McDonald's because it's, it's just that instant gratification piece. Um, do you think it seems to be when martial arts came out of the basements and out of the, uh, the back doors, that was when we started to, it to become a commodity. And mm. I, make no bones about my general feelings of the martial arts world um, with a caveat that as long as you deliver what you say you deliver, I don't care. Mm. And I think most people in martial arts these days are looking for something as a fun activity to do with their family and friends. And if that's all that martial arts gym is offering you, I really don't care what it does because it's delivering on what it says. It's going to be a fun experience. You'll lose a few calories and have a giggle. Great, fill your boots. That's an authentic martial art in that case because it's saying it's going to give you A and it gives you A. It's when they present themselves as something that they're not where I start to get a little rankled on it and especially when you're starting to do self-defense. And you and I have both seen examples that frankly makes me weep um, within the self-defense. But it's not, it's not just within the self-defense realm as well. And I'm going to use an example that you find within the Filipino martial arts community. Both you and I have some experience in that. Um, when you see these static drills and a stick will come in, they'll get it, and they'll literally basically do a crochet macrame pattern around the arm and then a stick will fly out. And it's like, oh, look at the skill. And it's like, well, there's a physical skill in there. There's an undeniable ability in there. But how much of that makes any sense whatsoever how am i getting anything more from that than i wouldn't get from say skipping rope or just hitting the heavy bag do you think the market has dictated the product or has it always been there and the market just put a magnifying glass on it i think um i think both hmm. um like it used to be that before social media and mixed martial arts and the competitiveness of martial arts schools were really there yeah um, you'd see people trying to stand out by faking some sort of military background or, or, or at least presenting a superficial military and uh, you, background. You, and you still do, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah that, that's course. a common, I mean, Frank Dukes is the most obvious example I can think of immediately off the top sure. of my head for that. Yeah. Um, you know, as if to say that somehow by wearing military type clothing and using military terminology, the credibility is just taken for granted, right? And and I think that's, you know, I mean, it's clever in one way, but it, it's not really coming from a place of integrity or mm -hmm. honesty. Um, now it's just there's so much competition 
and mixed martial arts has been responsible for pulling a lot of people into martial arts. Um, yeah. There's, there's still a big, there's still a big downside in that a lot of people can't distinguish the difference between sport martial art and fighting martial art, martial arts that are designed to maim or kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. And then of course there's, you know, the darker stuff and assassination and, you know, and they're all sort of like these subcategories. And obviously the more you study, the more these subcategories multiply. Of course. Um, you know, of course, with your law enforcement background, that that that's another um, representation altogether, right? That's always so, funny, though, when you talk about the law enforcement, because most cops can't fight for shit. They just get exposure to it. So you, can, no, you, I, I, you kind of learn on the job. You know, it's like, I teach you how to fight, but you better get good quick. Yeah. Um, What's interesting, we're using that and, and with that thing that you described, because it's a common thing that's put out there by people to justify what they do or what more accurately what they don't do. And they say, well, you know, they train for sport, we train for survival and for killing and, and all that sort of thing too. And I always come back with the same point, which is like most of these so-called sport martial artists are trained like four or five days a week, three, four hours a day. You know, you do an hour and a half session twice a week at your local village hall, you ain't killing shit. No. Except time. No. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no but that's that's a good point too and a lot of a lot of the the video trends like wing chun versus boxing or mm-hmm. it's like you know who who's who's fighting who right like, <laughs> yeah. like is it is it a you know a two-month you know amateur boxer or is it or is it a 20 year old veteran in wing chun or mm-hmm. is it is the is the boxer uh how are they training, right? Like you said, if they're training four or five times a week, two, three hours a day, and the other guy goes to a class, you know, one or two times a week for an hour, and it's more social, it's like, of course, this guy has the upper hand of the other guy. Mm-hmm. At the same time, arts like boxing, that I have a big background in boxing. I, I love boxing. And mm-hmm. a lot of the more complicated aspects of the other martial arts I've learned, I've been able to filter through boxing and better learn it. So I have a great appreciation for it. Um, you hear the term street boxing. Um, you know, you talk, you do bare knuckle boxing, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of great material in, in those arts. It's just that I think where it fails is that people do have to realize that the context specific application is everything. Yes. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's not that boxing can't be used for that venue. It's just that you can't confuse the two. Right. And the, the upper hand that boxers and people that are, are training those other arts do have is they're doing physical conditioning. Um, they're often running. They're in good shape. They're training to hit hard. They're training to get hit right out of the gate. And so they're, in a sense, learning under pressure. Um, it's not to say the other things don't have more potential, but they're often not trained with the same intention. And so they fall short. I think that's a very sharp observation and context is everything. Um, intention trumps context. So if you're doing a sports system, but you want to kill everybody that's coming across your path, you're probably going to do better than someone, you know, that's, yeah. uh, that's doing a more dangerous one. And I think that's an important key. And you touched on a point I was going to raise, even if you didn't, because a lot of people who've seen um, your seminars or what you tend to share with people, you set, share a lot of the softer part of things. Um, unless me and you were doing cheese song, in which case it's a good old brawl. Um, <laughs> we frighten the students, um, <laughs> which is a great experience. I'll tell that story in a minute. Um, but you, you've actually got a solid set of hands on you. Now, does, for me personally, I work from the same paradigm. Like, if nothing else, I can go like boom, 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 probably light you up. So I don't need to worry so much because I've got my bedrock. Yeah. Do you think that that speaks to what we used to have with the so-called graduate system? Like Aikido was perceived as it was originally a graduate system. You weren't supposed to go straight to it. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to work your way through being able to scrap before you then did the Aikido. To an extent, I've always considered Wing Chun a graduate system. I extract tremendous benefit from the training I've done in Wing Chun with, with my teacher Sifu Singh and uh, much more infrequently with Sifu there. I'm able to put a frame on it from right okay i know i can knock your bollocks off so now i've got to find a more creative way to knock your bollocks off it it, yeah. it has context because i don't have to worry 
do you think that's probably been one of the keys to your success and the way you develop? You don't have to worry about being able to scrap you already can so that when you are now moving forward, you're filling in the gaps on something that already works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a big, uh, it's a big part of what I advocate too, which is structure first. Yeah. Right? And that's something I've heard Jesse talk about. I've, I've read um, some of his material. He's talked about that. Uh, if you look at a guy like Harris, who is of the more subtle people I've ever seen or felt, mm. um, and then you look at his earlier background, he, he came from, you know, he was doing a lot of hard Kung Fu lines with Fukyong, uh, right? Yeah. So he told, Harris told me that in those early days, they would do fairly realistic um, and fairly intense, like, uh, weapons forms. So the way he explained them, they're very similar to how people would do, like, a six count or eight count or, like, um, some brada, right? And then things get quite intense and it becomes more of a free flow set. Mm-hmm. And so he would talk about doing a lot of that type of stuff with Fook early on. And I think eventually it just made sense that the only way you really can get soft and subtle is to have the structure behind you and years and years and years of experience. Um, and some of those guys also taught things as an add-on system. Like a lot of the stuff Harris shared with people that he saw that were progressing in the sessions or private sessions, um, they were based off of, you know, being able to break fall, being able to punch, being able to attack and have like a fairly solid skill set. And then if you have that structure, you can shrink it. If you don't have the structure, then you really, mm-hmm. you need to go back and get one, right? Because um, otherwise that stuff really has no meaning. So for the boxing, um, for me, I like the honesty that if you're, if you're sparring with somebody, and chances are, even if you say you're going light, they're trying to take your head off, right? Mm-hmm. So um, for me, eventually, there was a freedom in knowing that I could go in and even if somebody like somebody outweighed me by a lot, even if they were trying to take my head off when they said they wanted to go light, even if I didn't have a mouth card, um, if I was experimenting with something, I could hold my own. I had skills that I, I would allow me to sur- survive or um, overcome the person or at least not get hurt mm. um, so i think when you have that just like the stick work right i mean stick work is huge because the consequences are bigger oh yes that's true <laughs> right? even in training the consequences are huge so you either have the structure or you don't and there's no lying once once honest attack starts happening you can either pull it off or you can't yeah and there's no point in trying to be subtle or sophisticated if you can't do the most simple, you know, deal with the simple line of attack or have a basic sense of positioning or um, the basic fundamental skills that allow you to basically not get hurt. Right. And, you know, I, I can't remember who said it, um, but I, I love the line. It was something like, might've been Adam, Adam Chan. He said something like uh, maybe people should spend the first six months to a year learning to not get punched in the face. Right. And it's accurate, you know, and, and I, I think it's eloquently put because it's uh, it sounds simple. It's not so simple, but really there's no point in going beyond that and trying to be slick and sophisticated if you mm. can't do that. So it reminded there was actually Sal Ribeiro, uh, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, practitioner, who also who wrote what's probably one of the best books on it, the Jiu-Jitsu University book. And he said at the beginning, when you're a white belt, your entire goal is not to get tapped out. That's it. Mm. You don't have to like sub someone. You don't have. You said just don't get killed, basically, um, because he said that's that's will serve you far better through the rest of the stuff that you do in your jiu-jitsu career. If you learn not to lose, you can then start to win because you're not losing. But if all you're doing is focusing on the win, the losses sometimes then become significant because you're so focused on doing all this other stuff, you're not stopping it being done back to you, which I always thought was an interesting philosophical slant on things. Um, and I liked it. Yeah. Um, in boxing, that was certainly true with me because uh, you see the better coaches, they're not trying to be too sophisticated because they mm-hmm. know that while you're, you're nervous and you're just trying to move and learn things, it's really hard to do and someone else is punching you back. Yeah. And they've got their own goals. So to start telling people like, well, do this and do this and do this and do this, um, especially if they're not ready for that, it's not going to work. But if 
um, like Fred, <laughs> thinking back, uh, there were there were evenings where he would pull a live blade, and he would chase me around the ring with a live blade. You know, obviously pulling lines when it was going to come to me getting cut or stabbed, but mm-hmm. the threat, the sense of threat, is very real, and it, it, really it does it does heighten <laughs> your your response system and and how you react to things. And then if you put the knife down, you take a breath, have a drink of water, then put the gloves on. Everything seems like it's in slow motion, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then at the same time, it gives you context. Like one is one one situation has the potential to be killed. The other one really isn't that big of a deal if you actually just relax, you know, do some purposeful breathing, be in your center, focus on maybe a few goals, and really you could you could um, simulate that as well by just telling somebody. It doesn't matter how you move right now. We're just working on rough or a gross mm-hmm. motor movement. Just don't get hit. Yep. Like just go go slow to medium. If they pick up the pace, don't lose your cool. Just don't get hit. Just try mm-hmm. to do that for two to three minutes. Right. I, I think, and you and I both know individuals that work on this sort of basis. They try and add more because they want to get to the finish line. So they want to go from A to Z without going through the rest of the alphabet in between it. And you end up with like, you know, the slap cell phenomena where they've heard their instructor like, oh, and come in and they just, okay, I'm going to make a noise. Wham! And they're bamming that shit out the way to get in there. Hmm. Um, you, you see it in a lot of um, a lot of people that, you know, talk of a background that mask over what I see as inadequacies in what they do with aggression and anger. Hmm. Um, they shout lots, they scream lots, they, they, they swing lots. But one of the things I'm very big with teaching my guys, and I know you're the same because we, you know, we'll send each other video clips. We, we, we're now playing a game of, can I catch this guy out? And we do it like, you know, a couple of times a week. It's like, Hey, what do you think of this video? And what's he going to say back? And it's like, we always like, ah, yeah, you found the bit I saw as well. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like catch each other out a bit because it's what I call the educated eye. And there's bits you notice, like, you know, the weights lifting up a little bit or, you know, they're overcompensating with speed, what they lack for in structure. It's those small pieces that make a world of difference. And yet I find people are so unwilling to invest the time in learning the small pieces that they want, you know, the the big thing at the end of it. And it's why I have to keep, when I do my guys, I, I, I structure every drill in class to add a little bit each time we go on. And I'm always, I'll pull them back because if I'm, say I'm doing like, I don't know, jab cross weave on the cross hook because and, and the weave on it because someone's trying to punch at you if they rush the jab cross to get to the weave they've missed the point because the only mm-hmm. reason the guy's funny is you haven't gone out bam bam you've got to light them up with that jab cross mm-hmm. if you miss that bit out the weave's meaningless because you might as well just go straight to the weave when someone's swinging at you and what i always try and say is there's no such thing as as you know your turn my turn it's always my turn it's just sometimes i'm learning from the attacker's perspective rather than a defender's perspective. Yeah, for sure. Um, why, and I don't know, why is the wrong word? How can we as instructors change things that people learn to value? Because you can't make it sexy to put your thumb in a certain position. There's no way I can make firing your thumb for structural integrity sexy. It's it's not sexy. It's not exciting at all. The ones that like, it's not old Heraclitus quote, you know, of a hundred people Ten shouldn't even be here. Eighty just targets. Nine of the fighters, and we're lucky to have them because they make the battle. But the one, the one is the war, and he will bring the others home. If we extract the life lesson from that, it's like out of a hundred students I got coming from my door, ten she got no shit business being there. Eight, you're turning up to wear the uniform, buy the t-shirt. Nine of the scrappers, but there's that one person that you'll reach, mm. and they're the ones that really get the essence of the system. How do we make that one become a nine, become a ten, and then how do we extract that out? What What would you do as an instructor? Man, if you figure it out, you let me know. <laughs> Fair. Um, Fair. No, it's just it's just like years ago, my primary instructor at the time would say things to us like, you're one in 10,000 or one in 100,000. Mm-hmm. And a few of us, we didn't really, we just thought it was lip service. And, uh, and then you see some of the people that you look up to and they don't have large groups and they have a lot of people come and go. I, I think there's no way around that. Um, no, and I, yeah, that's fair. This is true. I think that um, the most you can, like, you can't save the world, and there's so many different 
goals for like so many different people, so many different goals, it's going it, to, you can't make somebody do it. Right. And, but what you can do is I, I think the fastest way you can do it is probably just to be really honest Yeah. and, and you will attract the people that, that, you know, will, will sort of fit in line with your process. Like I, I remember seeing um, some of the material that I do and I don't do really do it that publicly is um, comes from Mr. Harris's material, like the young Chuan. Mm-hmm. So it's very soft style. Um, it's meant to be done in a way that uh, has been built off structure. So it's, it's really hard to appreciate throwing someone really subtly when the person doesn't even know how to throw a punch. Right. Yeah. But I, I used to see in the, um, I used to see in the, some of the classes where one of like Fred or somebody else, they, they, they'd show this super cool thing. And you're like, wow, that's like, it's like Jedi shit. Like, <laughs> you know, like something like really slick, really cool. Sure. Um, and, and you, you, you kind of get the sense of what's happening, but you're mm-hmm. not really there yet. So you're trying to figure it out. But then I remember seeing like some kid's hand and they're kind of shy looking around and then, okay, what if someone has a question and they're like, can I just learn how to punch? You know, nice. so, so it's like, I think you have to know your audience too. Yeah. You know, like you can't, you can't just show the stuff that has meaning to you and expect people are just going to be able to reproduce it. So if you explain to them, like, we could try to find things that work for you, we'll explore that together. It's a give and take process. It's not an easy process. And at least if you explain that in the beginning, they at least have an, uh, an honest expectation. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think, I, at least I haven't figured out a better way to, to approach the process than that. No, I like um, it. it makes sense. It's a beautiful thing too. You know, you're not going to attract everybody, but you'll attract the right people. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, what do you do? The al- it's better than the alternative, which is to say, like, I can promise you the world. Um, it's going to cost you. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you the Mine, world. Surely not. Don't have to do very much. And somehow magically, you're just going to have skill after such I mean, and such time. Fifth and, time after two days. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's another topic. <laughs> um, but just in a, you know, short form, it's basically be honest about what you offer. Mm. Try to watch out for the people that you think might have potential to carry through or follow through with it. Invest in those people. Um, try to weed out the people that aren't really serious because you're not doing them a disser- you're, you're not doing them a service by, you know, if they say they really want to do it, but they never show up. Then it's like, maybe it's best for them to be honest about their own goals and expectations too. Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah, you want to do it, but clearly it's not as important as the other 10 things you're doing. I, th- that's, I think that's one of my biggest frustrations as an instructor as well. And it's not, and I don't blame people just don't, talk out of both sides of your mouth either it's important to you more than anything else or it isn't and if i'm sick down your line of things i'm good with that don't tell me i'm first though yeah because that's when i'm like okay Mm. um or the people that say you know oh i really want to lose weight no you don't or you do it it's not difficult to lose weight um discipline is fucking difficult but losing weight is easy you just eat less and exercise more it's the discipline to do it the way you got the you know the, the struggling with it and we're, we're actually we're fast approaching the hour brother i mean that's just like blink of it. we <laughs> I always thought that was going to happen yeah yeah we always do that um i mean i i, I will overrun by a few minutes um if that's okay with you yeah for sure. I, I see a lot of stuff in the martial arts world with people over inflate their own abilities to an extent where what they're claiming is so divorced from what they actually represent as to be almost comical Hmm. um not naming names because there's no point in doing that but we know people like i there's an instructor that was doing some online stuff and i showed it to uh morgan sarah jade and after she finished literally wetting her pants laughing at it 
she was like, the, the, the fuck is that? Um, because, and, and when I say, you know, this is a person, and again, I'm always going to contradict myself from earlier. This is a person that has won multiple titles and is a multiple champion and their hook punch. And you're going to think I'm exaggerating this for those of you that are watching the video, not the audio. Okay. Their hook punch, their, their, their stance is like this for starters. So they had the, the, the knuckles nailed to the temple stance. Mm. which again is an, it's an instant red flag that they don't know what a boxer is anyway but anyway and their hooks consisted of the elbow coming out to the side and then coming around like this every hook and it, oh, and it was mm, mm, and they were teaching and this is like you know this multiple time world champion in kickboxing sort of thing um, they thought that was good mm-hmm. and I can't believe people have such a lack of self-awareness that they can see that or watch themselves do that and think that's good. I, I know what I'm like. When I see myself on video, I'm like, because oh, I compare myself to who taught me or I compare myself to a standard I adhere to or I, I aspire to more accurately. Yet I see people who would be sub green belt level with me owning multiple black belts and teaching just, just garbage. Do you think that there's there is that such a lack of self-awareness in the martial arts world because there's no metric or there's no quality control in there. Um, have, have they bought into the hype? I think it's an issue of complacency, to be honest. Because hmm. um, I see it too. Like you see a lot of people that are, um, it's like a semblance of boxing experience. Like like hmm. you see people, you know, the hands on the head, head knuckles, um, you can, once you've done it or you have some experience with it, like you can kind of tell who's, who's done it. You know, like you see some people uh, and they'll do blade work. They have a short sword and they'll do something like an umbrella yep. and they're dragging this, they're dragging the aluminum trainer on their back yeah. <laughs> yes. or like, um, or they'll do something that's just like, it, it's a, it's a, it, it might fool the people that are coming to your class. Um, but for people that have done it for real or, or trained with live blades or had experience boxing or know the difference between slow, medium and fast application or, um, or how things, you know, like if you do something slow, even if it's really flowing, you might get this technique to that technique to a throw or something medium it's going to look a lot faster you'll probably miss one or two beats and you'll still get the throw the third beat when it's 100 percent speed it's reflected as a very small technique and it's almost hidden it looks like nothing and the person mm-hmm. falls mm-hmm. you've still done the same thing it's just that you've had to you've had to adjust the technique to full speed fully non-cooperative and then it, it has built-in feeling into like there's a lot of qualities that sort of glue it together and there's a big process of going slow to medium to fast, even though it might look the same to the, to the person or, or, or rather it might look completely different to another person because now you say, well, how did you go from that to that? But that really only happens with experience. So I, I, think, it, I think it's an issue of complacency because if you, even if you are a world champion and then you're 10 years out of being a world champion, you don't have to go, you don't have to have the mindset or the intention you're not going to probably be doing the road work anymore. Um, your your timings might, might even be a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, you just you just simply don't have that skill set uh, refined the way it was when you were competing. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a terrible way to do it. I'll I'll send you the link. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to share it publicly. I'll send no. you the link privately. Yeah. Um, um, if they were churning butter, they'd probably do well. And I, I mean, I don't want to pick on anybody, but it's just like you know, the way, the way you do a hook is, is to use your body for the torque instead of the, mm-hmm. instead of the arm. Right. And it doesn't take, I think I was, I had been boxing less than a few months before I learned how to punch with my body rather than just my, the, the small muscle groups in my arms. So um, I, th- I think I'd be less concerned if they weren't teaching other people to do it this way or claiming they were not yeah. on it sort of thing. So if people yeah. want to suck, it's fine. If people are yeah. getting better, it's fine. If you've been doing it this way for 20 plus years and you still suck that badly, it's like, okay, there's a bigger problem here. It's either an unwillingness or an inability to change. There's a disconnect, yeah. There's a massive disconnect. And if you're then passing that on 
that's when because a lot of times people say well why does it affect you I'm like well it doesn't but if someone's on a railway and they're going to get run over i feel i have a duty to pull them off it um with people that are passing on what's effectively a defective a, a defective product yeah as a I, I feel almost like a consumer rights advocate you yeah. know um but it's not good for my blood pressure but <laughs> no but you see people even like in the uh, soft style arts um sometimes like i've seen for example um people that will say yeah like this is my background i don't really do the fighting aspect if you do i know somebody that does it perfect right like that's honest. that's it's, that's on it it's honest full of integrity um they're an expert in what they do they have no interest in doing the other no problem but if they were to market classes uh, and people are taking for granted that they're being honest and they say yeah we can we can show you how to do this and this this is available for security and blah 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 mm-hmm. then then there becomes an issue because now you're um you're taking people's life into your hands yeah, especially the operational ones. I teach police. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Yeah. You, that, see, that was another one. I mean, when you discussed this one as well, when you, people are saying things like um, buzzwords, like court approved. And I remember said, what, you mean you didn't get charged and convicted? Because that's all court approved. Me, There's no such thing as court approved. It's not, the court do not approve shit. They yeah, they don't, they don't handle the list of techniques. You can... Yeah, exactly. The car, I can't imagine some magistrate sat there with a book saying, you did what, Tenny? Hang on a minute, son. Oh, no, that was not listed down. Of course he yeah. don't do that. And yeah. because everything's situational and circumstantially dependent, it all falls down on how big a risk the organization is advocating that approach is willing to take or how big a risk you're an individual who advocate and willing to take. Yeah. So when you hear buzzwords like court approved, I always think, get fuck. Unless it's got, unless the court itself employs staff, to do a job and gives them a list of things. Then it's court approved as an employer. But even then, court approved doesn't mean if you go outside of that, you're in the wrong. It just means you've got to work a little harder to justify why you did it. Yeah. So these buzzwords that get thrown around in the industry and, and, and people fall for it because they don't know better. And that's why I always, you know, get quite rankled and angry. And, and, and well, not angry these days. I just, uh, now, these days I light a candle and so there's a candle you know it's in the darkness if you want to come to it great if not go wander it off and see where you end up I don't oh, find it yeah, yeah. well that's a lack of responsibility on their part though too yeah. um, like any time that I, I had to use a, a certain amount of force or defend myself when I was in uh, community health for example mm-hmm. I ran into some ugly scary situations actually of course um, and Really, it was always settled within a report, possibly a private meeting with my supervisor. Mm-hmm. It was never like, what did you do? Did you, or did you use a finger jab? Did you, <laughs> did you use a flashlight? <laughs> it was, it was all, the conversation always circled around what were the circumstances? What, what happened? Yeah. Right. And, 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 and really what they're trying to get to the bottom of, was it justified? Was it appropriate? That, and that's the only metric. Right. A buzzword like court approved means was it a, a justified, appropriate, proportionate, and necessary in circumstances. Outside of that, there's no such thing. There's and no it makes sense. Thing. When yeah. you explain that to me, it, it um, you, you explained it very simple and matter of fact, and it, it made a lot, of, a lot more sense, right? But it, when you think about it, how else could it be? Hmm. The court doesn't have time to go through every style. Yeah. And it's like, what did you do this individual? Well, I used the sale and I put his energy up into him. Like, oh, crap. I'm going to have met that before. Uh, yeah. How can you? It becomes a nonsense. Yeah. So, it's not like it's not like they're handing out scrolls with like approved techniques. Like, <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, you can actually <laughs> the big wardrobe opening at the back of the courtroom. <laughs> they just pull the scroll down off the shelf. I That'd hear by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, brother, listen, I would have cut the chat short, not because I want to, because I don't, um, but because I'm sure the boys and girls at home that are listening uh, uh, want to go to the bathroom or something. Um, but what an absolute joy. Uh, thank you so oh, thank much, you. so much for joining us again. Uh, yeah, again, thumbs up from the guys watching it. Thanks for joining us, guys. And for everyone who's watched it live, thank you for joining us. And for everyone listening, again, thank you. Um, it's always a joy to have you on, Michael. And it, it always feels like a cheat because it's basically just continuing the conversations mean you have in the week anyway. It's just not filming it. Ah, screw it. We'll put it on camera, color podcast. Um, because it's always gives me an honest set of eyes on what I do. 
both from your perspective and you give me a fresh set of eyes to look at things as well. So, um, you know, for the bottom of my heart, thank you. I value the relationship we have and the interactions that we have. And uh, thank you as well. Um, yeah, thank you as well. It's uh, it's always a joy. So, are are you actually <laughs> COVID aside? Are you still taking on private students? Yeah, yeah, I am. Especially since the restrictions have now allowed us to do one-on-one material with people. Um, yeah, the short awesome. answer is yes. Okay, good. So, as always, what's the best way people can get a hold of you? Uh, Facebook is and Messenger is kind of the primary way. Awesome. And um, if that seems to work out, then then I feel a little more comfortable handing out my phone number. And that's good. And, and we ha- is, is it the Project Synthesis group that's on there, or just it's actually just Synthesis? Just Synthesis. So the Synthesis Martial Arts group on Facebook yeah, is, is well worth seeking out. There's always um, some great material goes in there um, from Michael himself, and when he's feeling in a generous mood, he will actually share the footage from his old instructors as well. Um, I know I've seen some absolute gems appear there um, and mm. I always get a lot of that and a lot of value from it. So Michael, once again, brother, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure. It's an thank you, Jay. And for everyone else, thank you very much for listening to The Bang of the Hounds. Um, next episode, if everything goes according to plan, and there's an if in that sentence, um, will be uh, part two of myself and Dee and uh, Rich Moore uh, slagging off every police department in the universe how shit their training is. Um, not really, but really. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, but further than that, um, I will see you on the next one. Um, as always, please don't ask permission to share this anywhere you want. Anybody like anything you'd like to see featured, any discussion points you'd like me to bring up, any guests you'd like me to try and get a hold of, please send them out there. I'm always happy to talk and interview. Um, and uh, yeah, it's an absolute joy. So, from the hounds to everyone out there, thank you for joining us. Stay safe, take care of yourself, take care of each other. I will see you down the road. Have a great day. Thank you.